invite your attention to 2 Kings chapter 16. 2 Kings chapter 16, and I want to read beginning with verse 8. Second Kings chapter 16 and verse 8. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Amen. If you're just looking at the screen, say praise the Lord. Bring your Bible, praise God. This screen is for our visitors. It's not for us home folks necessarily. Um, we need to have a relationship with our Bible be good to get in the habit right here at the beginning of the year, <clears throat> bringing your Bible to the house of God. Second Kings chapter 16, and Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries, or the treasures of the king's house, and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it. And he carried the people captive to cure and slew reason. And King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Taglath Pileser. If you can do better with that, I'd be honored to let you just try. Praise God. King of Assyria and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz went to Urijah, the priest, the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah, the priest, made it against King Ahaz, came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and offered thereon. And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before the Lord from the forefront, or we could say the entrance of the house, from between the altar and the house of the Lord and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meat offering and their drink offering and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all the king, all that king Ahaz commanded. And king Ahaz cut off the borders of the bases and removed the laver from off of them and took down the sea from off the brazen oxen that were under it and put it upon the pavement of stones and to convert for the Sabbath and they had built 
that they had built in the house and the king's entry without, turned he from the house of the Lord for the king of Assyria. And I really don't have a fancy title tonight, but this particular story and these verses were just kind of illuminated to me today as I begin to study and cast about what the Lord would have for us in this service tonight. And um, I simply want to entitle this, Some Things Cannot Be Replaced. Some Things Cannot Be Replaced. And I really want to hone in on at least one of them in this service tonight. Would you help me as we pray right now for God's anointing, His blessing, His help in this service here tonight. Jesus, we certainly need You. We desire... We hunger for your touch, your anointing, the power of your spirit to come into this house. We need your anointing most of all. We're asking you, God, to speak to our hearts, direct us, encourage and challenge and inspire us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And would you take a moment and just worship the Lord with me? Let's give him praise right now. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, O Lord. I give thanks to you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. Kind of goes without saying tonight that sometimes we come to church and we receive direction by various things that take place that the Lord uses to help us, to encourage us, maybe in a low time or um, a time when we're walking through a dry place. It's we come to church and it's almost like we take a fresh drink of water. We're sustained by it and we're strengthened by it. And uh, there's times when God uses a myriad of things to do that. It can be a song that is sang. And I'm thankful for anointed singing. And God using the message of a song to minister to our needs and sometimes encourage us and strengthen us. I believe God can use that. I know that he did where David was concerned to drive the evil spirits away from Saul. And sometimes when we're uh, being threatened, when we're uh, going through a moment of discouragement, when we need help and a strength from God to come, uh, a song can sometimes minister to us. And I'm thankful for people being sensitive enough to God and anointed by the Lord, used by Him in singing and even in the writing of those songs. And then, of course, there's times when we come when nothing else would suffice but a word from God, a message that is directly and almost tailored to perfection for us how many knows that God can speak specifically to the needs of a given people and congregation, even sometimes down to the individual that is in that congregation? I don't know how you feel, but there's been moments when I have felt as if uh, somebody must have bent the ear of the preacher for him to know. He must have been a fly on the wall and heard my conversation because he knows too much. It's not really that he knows it's that God knows, and God is speaking through him. I, I know that people have come and accused me of, of being a little too specific, and I have had to 
lift my hands and surrender and say, you know what? I didn't know a thing about your situation. Didn't know a thing about what you was going through or what you may have been facing. But God knew. And God is able to speak through a man of God that will yield himself and make himself available to him. And so sometimes it's a message that gives us direction and help that we need. It may be uh, while we're in the altar and praying with one another and, and uh, encouraging one another and ministering to one another that someone, another saint of God, uh, being used of the Lord, uh, goes and, and speaks a word of encouragement to you. And that simple uh, God-inspired word uh, that, that God has, has allowed them to speak to your heart gives you the strength that you need to make it through the situation that you've encountered. And I thank God for the saints of God that are not just wrapped up in their own little world and their own problems and their own situations, but they are open to be used of God and directed of God, and they are concerned for their fellow church members and the saints of God that surround them every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Amen. We're in this together. Can you say amen? There's none of us that are long rangers when it comes to living for God. There's none of us that are able just to make it through by ourselves. We all need one another, and that's what makes up the body of Christ. And so I'm thankful for all of these things, and especially the Word of God when we either read it or when it's preached and we know that we are saved by the foolishness of preaching. I hear a lot of people downgrading preaching or the need of it in their life, but I'm telling you, you still need a preacher. You need to be preached to, and it doesn't need to be just the radio or one of those other gadgets that, that people use to get their word from God. You need to come to the house of God and receive a fresh word from the Lord. Can you say amen? But, but can I say this, that none of this negates, none of this negates our own need for a personal altar where we come and routinely talk to God and seek the face of God and get direction for our lives. Matter of fact, it's really impossible for the song to minister to you like it needs to or the message to be able to speak to you as it needs to or the saint of God and their encouraging words be able to reach you if you haven't first been praying and opening up your spirit to what God is wanting to speak into your life. It's so needful that we have our own relationship with God through prayer. And can I tell you that that is the primary thing in your relationship with the Lord. The primary thing in your relationship with the Lord is not a lot of other things that we try to make it, but the primary thing is prayer. As important as church attendance is, and I wish I could get this through to a whole lot more folks, the importance of church attendance and being in the house of God, it is vital it is important. We've got together together. And the Bible admonishes us and says so much the more as you see the day approaching. So in the end time, we don't need less church. We really need more church. Amen. We need to come together more. 
We need to worship together more. We need to hear the Word of God preached to us more. We need the strength that comes through ministering to one another and praying with one another and worshiping God with one another and working for God with one another. All of this is critical. But that in and of itself is not is as important and vital as it is. It's not really the most important thing. The most important thing is, is not necessarily all the other uh, facets and and multiple things that I could speak about here tonight that are important keys to you having a successful relationship with God. But can I tell you the most important thing is that you have an altar in your life. Because again, none of the rest of what you do will be successful without a prayer life. Without a relationship with God through prayer, no, no preacher can reach you. Amen. I'm talking about saints of God now. Amen. If you're going to be open, your spirit's going to be open, and you're going to be able to receive the preaching that you need to receive and the instruction from the Word of God that you need to receive, you're going to have to have a prayer life to be able to do that. Most of the time when people get offended with the preacher, they misunderstand, they even misquote, they, they, they take things out of context. Uh, maybe, maybe they read into Maybe they question the motive of. Maybe they get sideways with some type of something that is taught in the church. It's usually as a result of them not praying like they need to. Because if we're praying like we need to, uh, I don't think there's anything when it comes to the Word of God that would be offensive to us. We would recognize it as God trying to help us to be saved and that we need this, and that I want to be receptive to the Word of the Lord. I don't ever want to have a wall up when a preacher's trying to preach to me. I don't ever want to have some kind of defense mechanism uh, when, when a preacher's trying to reach for me. I don't want to have a spirit that is like a person that has a chip on their shoulder. When a preacher gets up in the pulpit, then we put our chip up on our shoulder and say, come on, I dare you to knock it off. No, when I come to the house of God, I want to have an open heart that says, preacher, there's no off limits. There's no place that you cannot tread. If God leads you to preach to me in some way, I want you to preach to me because foremost, I want myself and my family to be saved. Is that the way you feel tonight? You want to be saved and you want your family to be saved. Praise the Lord. So prayer is vital. And this story gives us a, a, a real insight into what I'm talking about and what our subject is. In this story, the king of Judah, Ahaz, was being overwhelmed by not one but two armies. Uh, the Lord was punishing him because of his apparent backsliding and his, his failed and, and broken down relationship with God. And instead of praying and consulting God about what to do, about the armies that were coming against them, the Bible speaks of one that was coming from the north and another was coming in to the south border and they were ravaging him and he was overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. Instead of praying and getting a hold of God and finding direction from the Lord, which was what he should have done in the first place, and this was his first mistake, if I could say it that way, instead of doing that, he made a deal. He, he knew that there was a strong army 
that was in a neighboring nation, uh, the Assyrians. And so he consulted with the king of Assyria, and he made a deal. He said, if you fight my battles, he said, I'll pay you for it. If you will, if you will take your army and your assets and your weaponry, and if you go down and face our enemies and keep us safe and protect our borders, then I will personally pay you for it. I'll make it worth your while. That's the deal that I'll make. If we can some way strike up an alliance here and you can fight my battles for me, then I'll pay you. And there's a message in that all to itself, and that is, is there's some things that you can't, you can't uh, have help from anybody else when it comes to confronting them. There are some situations and circumstances that you cannot depend on somebody else to fight your battles for you. But you yourself, through your own consecration, through your own desire and passion for God, have got to be willing to fight through those things and become victorious and let the Lord help you and strengthen you to conquer those things in your life. But because of his lack of relationship with God, he he knew that he didn't have God on his side. He knew that the anointing of the Lord was not upon him. The favor of God was not there. So he had to depend on somebody else. And the king of Assyria went, and of course he was victorious. He won the battle. And it must have been done in such a way that it impressed Ahaz. Ahaz was mighty impressed by the king of Assyria and how that he single-handedly took care of not one but two of these armies. And so uh, King Ahaz first sent a message of congratulations and commendation to him for winning this battle. And then that was not enough. He, he sent the money uh, that he had promised. Only the thing was he didn't just send it from his own account but he took it from the treasury of the house of the Lord, the Lord's temple. And he took this money and he paid it to this pagan king. Notice that one thing leads to another. All of this apparently wasn't enough for him, so he said, I'm going to go down and I'm going to visit myself where the king of Assyria lives and I'm going to see for myself how he was able to do this great thing and how that he was able to accomplish this victory, how he was able to overcome my enemy. And I'm going to learn something from him. I'm going to sit at his feet a little while. Now, this is, this is God's people. This is the king of Judah. This is Ahaz. This is a man that came from a long lineage of people that had trusted God and knew how to pray and knew how to be led of the Lord and that, that had been anointed by God and used by God. This was not just anybody, but this was God's people that were going to sit at the feet of pagans. And so he goes and he sits down and he begins to learn. And when he arrived, one of the very first things that he noticed was that there was a big, uh, enormous, beautiful altar there in their temple that was built to their idol god. And when he saw this altar, he immediately desired one for himself. He immediately began to covet this altar. And he asked, he said, man, this is such an impressive thing. You read it there. It talked about him 
getting the fashion of it, the pattern of it. He said, I want the blueprints. How did you build this altar? I want one for myself. This is such an impressive thing. He said, you ought to see that old altar we got in the temple of Jehovah. It's, it's really embarrassing. It's not that impressive to look at. It's got blood stains all over it. It's got, uh, it, it kind of stinks. It's got a stench to it. It, it's, it smells like death, to be honest with you. And what we need is one of these beautiful pieces of furniture like this. We need something new. We need something fancy in our temple. Maybe, maybe that would, maybe that turned things around in our kingdom and for our folks if we, if we could get a beautiful altar like this. And so he was so impressed. Well, I don't know if it was ornate. I don't know if it was constructed in such a way that it, that in and of itself impressed him. But maybe he thought that the reason why they was able to have victory like they had victory was because they had an altar like this. Maybe that was the reason for it. And if I could get an altar like this, I could have the kind of victories they're having. I could have the kind of things that they've got. I could be blessed like they are blessed. I could have the accomplishments that they have. I could have the title of a great army that they have if I could only get an altar like that. And so he got the blueprint sent them down to Uriah the priest and he said I want you to fashion that altar I want you to fashion a altar just like this one it's the most beautiful altar I've ever laid my eyes on and this is what I want you to do I want you to do it in detail just exactly like these blueprints say And he commanded him to build it and he said now when it's built he said I'll tell you what I want you to do with that old altar that we got he said, I know it's been in that specific place of prominence in the house of God. You can't go anywhere. It's the first thing you see when you come through the entry into the temple in the house of God. The first thing you see, the most prominent piece of furniture is the altar. Can I tell you that that's the way it should be? The most prominent thing that should be going on around the church is prayer, is getting a hold of God is our relationship with God. Amen. The most prominent thing, and I, I thank God for all the things that God has blessed us with, but it shouldn't be a program. It shouldn't be a particular method. It shouldn't be a de particular department of the church. It shouldn't be just our facility and how beautiful it is, but the most prominent thing uh, about this church and what this church should be known for and what this church uh, when people think of it should immediately come to their mind is that that's a praying church those people know how to get a hold of God when people thought about the temple of Jehovah the immediate thing that came to their mind is the first thing they saw when they walked through its doors and that was the altar that was there yes it was beaten up it was stained by blood it smelt uh, like death it had blood uh, that was on it uh, and there was a stench about it uh, but it was a place where victories had been won where direction had been received uh, where revival time and again had came to the people of God it was a place that they could go and they could find help and they could feel the touch of God and the presence of the Lord it was the altar praise God and so so you ride you built it he said, I want you to scoot that thing out of the way. Matter of fact, I want you to just put it at another random place, another, another entrance or exit uh, somewhere else. I, don't, I want you to change this and put it as it's been for so long. 
I want you to put it at another place in the temple. I don't want it to have its place of prominence. And in the place of prominence and in the place where, where people first come in, I want you uh, to replace that old-fashioned altar and put this new altar. I want you to set it up in this specific place, and I want this to be the first thing that people see. I want this to be the altar that they give their sacrifices on. I want this to be the altar that is the most prominent in all the house of God. This is what I want. This old altar that had been there for 270 years the same altar had been there through every transition through every hardship through every challenge and difficulty through every victory and even defeat it had always been there there was one thing that had been consistent throughout all of the people of God's history and that had been the altar now there had been different houses of worship you know the tabernacle, it was transitional, it was in the wilderness. It could be torn down, set up, moved. You could go to different places, but there's one thing that was always the same about it. The altar was always the same. The place may be different. It may not always be in the same place in the wilderness where they could approach God, but, but the priest could always find that the altar was there, and it looked the same, and it was consistently there for them. And then when, when that that time of the tabernacle was over we know that when David brought back the ark into Jerusalem and, and there was a lot of worship and shouting that was going on there was what was called the tabernacle of David and David did it a little different than the Old Testament tabernacle he, he didn't have all the order and the pomp and the circumstances that they had in the wilderness and under the, the leadership of Moses and Joshua but he said, I still want the presence of the Lord here. So he rolled up the sides of the tent. He said, there's one thing that I know that pleases God, and that's how we got it here. He said, there's going to be worship all the time, 24-7. There's going to be worship here. And you know in the book of Acts, the Bible says that when he restores, amen, the, the house of God, he said, I'm going to restore it like the tabernacle of David. Why? Because worship is still something that God loves. Worship is still still something that God appreciates. It's still something that he's desirous of and he wants and he longs for. Especially in this old world that we're living in when people put such a high priority on fashion and they put such a high priority on Hollywood and they put it on the entertainers of our world and it's almost identical Idolatry, the way they worship them and idolize them, want to dress like them, talk like them, act like them. And God is saying, I don't want anybody vying for my worship. If there's anybody that deserves praise, if there's anyone that deserves worship, I'm telling you, it's not the pop stars. It's not the movie stars. It's Jesus Christ. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that shed his blood for you. I know it's Wednesday night, but how about some worship on a Wednesday night? How about some praise to God on a Wednesday night? Come on, we're not just a phenomenal bunch of people that's gathered here. We still know how to worship God. The Bible said where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There ought to be liberty all the time to praise God. There ought to be liberty all the time to worship the Lord. While I'm on the subject... 
I've been concerned about us lately, how we can come, amen, and we can just kind of sit back, relax in the presence of God. We come to church and act like as if we need to be entertained or something, as if we're just coming because it's a have-to situation. No, it's a privilege to come into the presence of God. It's a privilege to be here tonight. I think everybody's got breath in this house ought to praise God and worship the Lord. I know we got Wednesday night Bible study. I know we got we got times when we need instruction from the Word of God. But I'm telling you that the Word of God does not excite you sometimes so that you cannot sit still. You gotta raise your voice. You gotta clap your hands. You gotta lift up your voice and say, Thank you, Jesus. Or at least say amen every once in a while. If you can't do that, you need to check your experience. Because the experience I've got is life. Amen. And it's life more abundantly. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 I don't want the dead. Worship makes you uncomfortable. I'm sorry. Amen. Come on now. I haven't known anybody. I haven't known anyone to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. First of all, they had to repent. And second of all, they had to worship. Come on, what do we encourage them to do? Believe God and start worshiping Him. Have faith in the Lord. And what more inspires or what more could we do in the way of action to express our faith to God than to worship Him? Hallelujah. And to praise Him. If you're going to keep the Holy Ghost, sir, you're going to have to be a worshiper. You say, well, I'm not for all that emotion. Well, I'm sorry, I am. Praise God. I'm not for all that dancing and all that shouting and all that, uh, that emotional stuff. Well, I'm going to tell you, you didn't get the Holy Ghost just sitting there like a wooden Indian. I promise you that. If you got the Holy Ghost, you had to show some emotion. You had to worship God. old-fashioned worship praise to God I don't know how I got off on this that makes the devil uncomfortable he can live in a dead dormant dry stuffy starchy environment he can get by in that but you turn up that thermostat of worship and praise to God there's something about it that makes him uncomfortable I don't want the devil to feel comfortable in landmark Pentecostal church. I don't want spirits of the world to feel at ease when they come into this house. But God, help us to worship you and praise you so that your spirit can move in this place. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's what David's tabernacle was all about. David, he's the one that drew up the blueprints and made the plans, even though God did not allow him to build it. He said, I'm going to get it ready for the next generation. Hallelujah. You, you know what? We as the people of God, we need to be doing something all the time that gets this thing ready for the next generation. We don't need to just be living for God for ourselves. We don't need to just having church for ourselves. We've got to get beyond that. We're not just, we're not just coming here and 
building our relationship with the Lord just for ourselves. We're not just making this commitment just for ourselves. We got to pass something on. I said, we got to pass. Is there somebody that's concerned about the next generation? Is there somebody that's concerned about your children and your grandchildren? Amen. Praise God. Do you want Pentecost to be the same for them? Do you want them to be able to experience what you've experienced? you want them to feel the power that you feel when you come in the presence of God? Well, it's going to take a little effort on your part. You're going to have to do something other than the norm. You're going to have to get beyond your selfish self and say, God, I wanted to give a sacrifice. I wanted to do whatever necessary because I want revival for the next generation. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, that's kind of why we do all we do for different youth conferences and different things. You think we just put all this money out and go through all this agony of planning and a whole year of, of getting all this detailed out so that, that young people can go down there and, and just have a hoot nanny. No, we want to get something in them. Amen. That's why we're doing this. Amen. That's why we're making these sacrifices is so that, that something can be transferred into them. Praise the Lord. It's important. He said, I want, I want this thing to live on. I want, I want Solomon to be able to experience this and to have this. I want the house of God to be a prominent place in the next generation's life. Can you say amen? And so, he said, I'm making specific plans. I, I'm, I'm, I'm handing them over. If God's not going to allow me to do it myself, I'm going to make it easy for the next generation. Come on, why is the next generation always got to learn by their mistakes? Why don't we guide them and direct them and help them in areas where they don't have to learn the same lessons we did. I think that's momentum. That's, that's going ahead. Amen. If they could build on, on our relationship with God, then they don't have to cover the same ground and they can go further in God and experience more of what He has for them. Can you see, amen? And so he, he passed it on to him. And in Solomon's temple, there was a lot of enlargements. There was a lot of uh, advancements and, and uh, a lot of things... Uh, were changed and adjusted and were bigger in Solomon's temple than they had been. As far as I understand it, the altar remained the same. It was a bigger laver. It was a bigger mercy seat. And I think if anything increases in a church, it ought to be mercy. Can you say amen? If anything is enlarged in a church, it ought to be mercy. Praise God. And as a church grows, you know, I'm just telling you, mercy's got to grow with that church. You can tell how mature a person is by how merciful a person is. Woo! You know what? I've reached a place in life that I'm going to preach and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I do as a pastor as God directs me. Amen. I'm not, I'm not going to back up. Amen. And your solemn stares don't scare me. Amen. Praise God. I'm just telling you, if anything, you ought to grow up a little bit and be more merciful. Hallelujah. Praise God. Be more merciful. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't want to, you know, this, 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 that. We didn't always allow that. We didn't always do that. Well, we, don't know, we didn't always had a circumstance like we've got. And people coming in out of the world and that type of thing. Praise God. Now, I'm not for, I'm not for letting people that know better 
you know, winking at ignorance, but I'm, I'm, I am for showing mercy. Where we need to show mercy, can you say praise the Lord? And so, in, in Solomon's temple, a lot of things are bigger, but the altar remained the same. For 270 years, it had been used the same way. It was the same altar. And now the king suddenly wants to change it and replace it. He commanded the priest to build another. Now, you understand how important the altar was to the Old Testament tabernacle and to the temple. The first thing you saw again was the altar when you entered in the house of God. And it was the last thing you saw when you left. Again, reminding you what's the most important thing that goes on here. Isn't that what Jesus said? He said, you can make my house a lot of things, but you remember that this was built to be a house of prayer. You've made it something else, but you remember it was made to be a house of prayer. Hallelujah. So everything started and finished with the altar. Everything began and ended with the altar. Everything got its start at the altar. Success or failure was determined at the altar. But King Ahaz, he wanted something new. He wanted something bright. He wanted something shiny. He wanted something ornate. He wasn't interested in the old fashion anymore. Wasn't in, interested in, in sacrificing anymore. Wasn't interested in doing it like they'd always done it. The altar is not to be replaced by anything else. Prayer is not to be replaced by anything else. And can I say that prayer and the altar is not a place that you visit just when you're in trouble. Just when, when there's a situation beyond your control, that's the only time you pray. Then, as I've said before, maybe that's the reason why there's so many circumstances in your life that's out of control. Maybe that's why you got so much drama and ordeals in your life is because that's the only way God can get you to talk to Him. That's the only way you can come pray and seek the face of God as if you got some problems. We need to learn to pray when we don't have any problems, when everything's going good, when we're blessed and everything's all right. We need to routinely visit the altar. This was a place routinely where flesh died. This was a place routinely where self died out. This was a place routinely where, where you had to die out to your own will. Can I tell you tonight that... that the altar in your life should be a place that you routinely come and, and submit yourself again. You, you routinely come and it's not you're not there to say, God, I want my way or my will, but you're there to surrender to God. That's what an altar is all about. It's saying, God, not my will, but thine be done. I need you in my life. Flesh doesn't rule here, but God, let the altar rule. Let the altar be a place where I can come and I can lay all down and say God I want you to bless me I want your will in my life I need you praise the Lord when the altar was removed it affected the entire temple it affected everything around it can I tell you in the new covenant in the new testament the bible tells us that our body is the temple of the holy ghost we must re remember that under this new covenant, if our temple is, or if our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, 
There is never a time that I can I can replace prayer in my own life and expect expect to remain spiritual, remain sensitive to God, remain in relationship with God. But but everything about me is going to be affected if I remove the altar. Everything about my about my life is going to be affected if I don't have a place of prayer where I get a hold of God. Amen. My attitude's going to be affected. My spirit's going to be affected. Amen. I, I'm going to have things in my spirit that don't need to be there, that don't need to live. If I, I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. If I don't have an altar in my life, I'm going to have problems down the road. There's going to be some situations that's going to affect me if I don't keep an altar. An altar's a place of death. An altar's a place where you die out, where you give your life's blood, where you give everything. It's not a place where you debate. It's not a place where you go to strong-arm God. There's no arm wrestling on the altar. It's God's way. It's God's way. It's God's way. God help us. Come on, we use prayer like some kind of leverage. Come on, God, I want you to do this for me. Have you ever thought about saying, God, is this what you want for me? Is this what's best for me? Is this what's going to bless my life? Is this going to lead my family in the right direction? Is this going to take me safely home? Come on, we're living too close to the end time for you to want your way all the time. We're living too close to the rapture of the church for me to try to strong-arm God into doing something today right. to re-examine what really prayer is. I found out that I'll never have reached a place in 37, 30, excuse me, back up here, 31 years of having the Holy Ghost. Amen. No, I wasn't born with it. 31 years of having the Holy Ghost. You know what I found out? I never got that I don't need to pray. This temple still needs an altar. I said this temple still needs an altar after 31 years. I've heard enough preaching. Come on. I ought to be saved, sanctified, and ready to go and never have to go back to church. No. I've heard so much preaching in my life. I've sat in youth camps. I've sat in camp meetings. I've sat in meetings, Bible school, went all day, seemed like all night, studied the rest. I've done that. And you can ask my poor wife, I've listened to more preaching tapes and preaching CDs than any man living probably because I'm always trying to get the Word in, always looking for an opportunity to, to hear the Word of God. I, I've, I've lived on that from the time I was about 12, 13 years old. I went to bed about every night with with uh, one playing in my ears. Still do it. Man, that's why I got cauliflower ears here. I got the earphones on. Matter of fact, my kids couldn't even go to sleep at night there in our uh, trailers and evangelists for they needed a preaching tape on. They, they thought that was just part of it. Some kids need a lullaby and others need a preacher screaming, I guess. That was just the way we lived. But I found out 
I can listen to all the preaching I want to listen to. Amen. I can go to every camp meeting conference and convention that's available. But if I negate prayer, if I don't pray, if I don't seek God routinely in my life, I'm not strong enough. Amen. Come on now. I've had the Holy Ghost 31 years, and some of you's had it a whole lot longer than that. I'd pale in comparison. But I, I guarantee you the one that's had the Holy Ghost the longest will tell you in this room, they've never reached a place where they didn't have to go build an altar and say, God, do it all over again. Renew me all over again. Refresh me all over again. Put something back in me today. God, I need your direction today. I need a fresh word from you today. I need you to help me today. I need you to work in my life now. I can't go on what I had back then a year or two ago I gotta have what you got for me right now you can't push the altar out of your life so many people are pushing it out they're pushing it out for money they're pushing it out for career opportunities they're pushing it out for education while I want to push for education for all of our children, I don't want, I believe God can use baptized brains. I, I believe God can bless people that's got an education. I'm going to tell you something. The Bible said, seek you first the kingdom of God and all these other things to be added unto you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not going, I don't want to sacrifice any of our kids on the altars of all of that just because I'm trying to live vicariously through them. I'm going to tell you something. It's important that you develop in your children a need for this old-fashioned altar and knowing how to come and approach God and pray. That's the only way they're going to last in this world. You can't get too smart for prayer. You get on your wall. You're still going to need to pray. You need the counsel of an all wise God. We got to pray. We got to touch heaven. We got to seek the face of God. Prayer is still where it's at. Hallelujah. And it happens. It happens so slowly. The altar is removed and pushed to the side so easily so gradual we don't even notice it sometimes our lives fill up, our schedules fill up everything kind of starts buying for the top slot before you know it, God's way down on the bottom of the list God, if I get around to you today come on, I'm not preaching to this you, I'm preaching to me I can get so busy in kingdom service, I can get so busy trying to pastor people and, and working and doing different things that that I'm not praying like I should or I'm just giving it a cursory God I need your strength and your help and come and give him 20 or 30 minutes and gone and here we go and God's saying you can't lead nobody doing that and you can't lead your family doing it like that either if you're going to make wise decisions and choices and be able to make it through life and be a leader and a godly man or woman you're going to have to know how to pray and I'll tell you how you get to know how to pray is you spend time trying it. And spend, it's like anything else, you spend time doing it. 
and you say, well, I, I, I don't know, brother. I, I, I have a hard time praying over about 10, 15 minutes. Well, you do that, and pretty, pretty soon you'll, you'll find out it's hard to leave after 10, 15 minutes. And you do that, and after a while you'll find out a half hour goes by, and it's hard to leave his presence and go on to the workplace. And after that, then it's an hour, and you're saying, God, I wish I had more time to talk to you. I'll tell you what, uh, if, you, if you ever get to praying, you'll want to pray more. It's not a job to pray. We're not punching a clock with God. It's a privilege to know how to pray and talk to the Lord. God, wake something up in us. Wake something. Dig up an old well around here in this church of prayer that we know how to talk to God again. We know how to get in his presence. We're not strangers in the presence of God. murder in the Bible happened over an altar. That should tell us something about how desperately the devil wants to shut it down. Abel's saying, God, I know prayer's messed up, but I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want to be more like you. I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to give a sacrifice. I'm going to try to do it like you want me to do it, God. And Cain rose up in envy and in jealousy and slew him there right beside that altar. Right from the beginning, Cain, what's he represent? He represents the flesh. He represents self-will. He represents, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get God to go along with my program and what I want. I'm not going to try to be obedient to God. I'm not going to submit myself to God. You think I'm going to listen to that? I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it like I want to do it. I, I don't have to listen to that preaching. I don't have to hear that man of God. I don't have to submit myself to no pastor. You're crazy. I'm going to do it my way. Beside an altar, he slew Abel. First murder in the Bible. I ought to tell you how the devil wants to steal the altar. He wants to destroy the altar. He wants to take the altar away. And it happens sometimes so gradually. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost here. Can we just slip up our hands right now? Say, God, touch us right now in this house. Touch us right now in this house. Deal with us in this place tonight. I hope I can get through to somebody here. I've been praying and I've been trying to talk to God about some folks here. I'm sorry but I'm burdened for some of y'all. I don't mean to come heavy Wednesday night after Wednesday night, but I can't help it. There's some of you got me worried. I'm tired of watching people drift away in their relationship with God when I know the only reason is is because they don't have a relationship with the altar. If they're pray, praying, people don't backslide. Praying folks don't try to reason things out. Praying folks don't try to find loopholes. Praying folks are not concerned about little things in their relationship with God that don't amount to a hill of beans. Praying folks don't get offended over every little thing that comes along. going to make it 
in the 21st century. If we're going to have revival in 2012, it's not going to be because we got some newfangled program. It's going to be because somebody rediscovered the old-fashioned blood-stained altar and crawled up on it and said, God, make me a living sacrifice. Make me a living sacrifice. Make me a living sacrifice. Use me, God. Put something in me like I used to get. Like I used to, that old desire that I used to have, that old magnetism for the prayer room that I used to have. God, don't make me embarrass my preacher and him have to beg me every Sunday night. Come on, folks, let's pray. Come on, folks, let's don't talk. Let's, let's use this time to talk to God. Come on, folks, would you come 30 minutes, 30 minutes early on Sunday morning to pray? Would you do that? Come on. We shouldn't have to go through all that. It's a privilege to come into his presence. That's where my answers are. That's where my help comes from. That's where my power source is. When I get plugged into him, I feel a whole lot better when I get in the presence of God. When the altar gets pushed out, it creates a vacuum. It creates a void. It creates an empty place. It's got to be filled by something. And so worldliness follows it in. Carnality, self-will, flesh, sin. Comes traipsing in behind the place where the altar used to be. When there's no prayer, there's going to be sin in the church. When there's no prayer, you're going to have carnal young folks. We can talk about them needing to pray and what they need to do. Come on, I'm ready for some of you parents to feel the challenge around here. I'm, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of just getting on to them. It's time you lead out. It's time you be the prayer warrior. You, you want to talk about the spiritual warfare they're going through. They can't do it by themselves. They need you to pray. They need you to create a bloodline around this place. what there's not a standard that this church has that makes sense to pray to prayerless people there's not a there's not a stand we take that makes sense to somebody that's not crying out and seeking God you can't get a holy church in the flesh the only way you can get holiness in your life or in a church is to pray and pray and listen to the word of God and have a spirit that is open to God It all starts and stops with the altar. Revival, it's going to start with an altar. Would you stand with me right now? God, don't let prayer become relegated to some mundane activity. You didn't say it was to be a house of preaching or a house of worship or a house of singing. You said it was to be a house of prayer. 
some things just can't be replaced. I can't push it over in the corner and say, God, let's drag in something new here. See if this will work. Jesus talking about a householder. Matthew 13. He said he bringeth forth something old and something new from his treasures. I'm not against the new. I'm not against new songs. I'm not against. I know some people, they think that it's Acts 238 equivalent that you sing out of the songbook. If that's their conviction, then I don't have a problem with it. But that's not mine. I know some people that, that you know, unless it's done this certain way, then that's, you know. But, you know, there's some things that are probably up to administration. There is room for new treasure new methods of doing things but he said he didn't just present the new he brought the old with it there's got to be balance and I'm going to tell you there's nothing new that's going to replace an old fashioned altar nothing nothing can replace prayer nothing can replace prayer it's got to be it's got to be it's got to be. It's got to be. It's the cornerstone. Hallelujah. It's a part of the foundation. You take this foundation out, and we ain't got anything but a flimsy structure that'll fall down as soon as a storm comes. He said, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? Is that what the psalmist said? The foundation be destroyed. You know, a house can blow over, but if you can find the foundation, you can build it up again. But if there's no foundation, you've got to start all over. It's like there was nothing there to begin with. You take prayer out of a church, it'll dilapidate to nothing. He removed the altar. I'm going to quickly go through this. The Bible said he changed the borders. He cut the borders. You know what? Suddenly nothing matters. When you take prayer out of the church, like I say, it creates a vacuum where nothing matters. Everything's questioned. It doesn't matter what you, you don't stand for anything. You don't have no borders at all. You don't, nobody, nothing, nothing. We're against nothing. We're for everything. We're everything. Come on in, sin. Come on, welcome. The Bible said he lowered the sea or the, that massive laver that was there. And when he did that, it dried up. It changed the whole atmosphere because that cooled that temple. It also served a purpose, but it also created an atmosphere in that temple. And when, when, you, when you quit praying, it affects the atmosphere of a church. Things start drying up. There's nobody getting the Holy Ghost. Nobody's being baptized. Nothing really is happening of any significance. There's no moves of God. There's no miracles. There's no power of God. There's no presence of God. There's no anointing. There's no favor. so far that he took and he cut into pieces the vessels, the holy sacred vessels of the house of God. You start cutting things out. This don't matter no more. Faithfulness, church, tithing, don't matter. Holiness, man, ain't none of it matters. Start cutting it up and throwing it out. And then it ended up
left and you turned towards the king of Assyria, the Bible says. Instead of turning towards Jehovah, started turning towards a pagan king for help. Made him his king. People of God. Come on. You say, well, I'm going to tell you what, there's only, there's some lines to what how far I'm going to go. I, I may get out there, but bless God, I'm not going that far. I'm not doing that much. The man that passed away, I pray he was saved. He was a one time a very powerful man used of God. And at his funeral, the preacher came up to his wife and said, what is the deal? Looked at the church members and the folks that were there gone in the wilderness people that used to be apostolic said what is the deal with tears running down her face she looked at that preacher and she said we never intended on it going this far we never wanted to go this far we didn't we, we started out in this direction but we didn't want to go this far I'm going to tell you you take the altar out you don't know what you'll ever become or what you'll ever do but God my protection is staying in the altar of prayer there's a protection, there's an anointing, there's a power of God that comes with that. Would you stretch your hands towards the heaven? Would you pray right now? Would you talk to God right now? Would you seek God right now for just a moment? I'm going to let you go, but I, I don't want to just leave here without talking to God for just a moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, Ahaz, wake up. That old altar is where your help comes from. Why don't you pray with somebody next to you? God, help us to get back to old-fashioned praying. Understand the hour's growing late. If you if you need to go, it's no offense, but for those of you that want to come, these altars are open. These altars are open. God, I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to get back. God, I want to hear your voice again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God, help me. Hallelujah, help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God.